0: Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we bring compelling tennis stories to life. Today, we have the second part of a remarkable story, the story of Sam Jallo. Sam was born in Sierra Leone. As civil war ripped through his nation, Sam encountered some horrific situations, including seeing his best friend Ali Mami killed in front of him. But Sam kept going and dedicated himself to his dream of playing tennis for his nation, a dream he realized. Sam now lives in Northwest England, and despite all the adversity he has encountered, as you'll hear, he has such a positive outlook on life. The second part of this podcast begins after I asked Sam what it was like to achieve his dream of playing for Sierra Leone. And playing in his first tournament in Ghana.
1: So I have this plan to play for Sierra Leone. I have this plan and I work towards it relentlessly. I tell you, you will never find somebody who work harder than I used to do. One meal a day. I walk to school 15 miles, seven and a half miles to school and seven and a half miles back with no shoes, you know, no breakfast, no lunch. And I'll run and I got to fetch water for my mom three miles. I got to wash my uniform, study on the candles and you know, we don't have electricity. So, no excuse, self determination. You're inspired by somebody who's been killed tragically and my parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you've got to work your way. So, when I went to Ghana, I felt almost accomplished. And so, the tournament was really good because the ITF tournament was so well organized. <clears throat> yeah. And then, and I'll try and find a photo for you to send to you to see how they organize it. They have every country flag. And just the entrance to go to the court, it was eight tennis courts. It's a national sports college. And here I was, I remember looking at my country flag and said, wow, here I am. You know, dreams do come true, but dreams only come true when you take the necessary action. You know, you train, you work hard, you do what you have to do, you know, to make it. And, um, and, and another uh, funny thing about this, our tracksuit as well is that Sierra Leone is a green, white, and blue, like you can see. So that's the country flag. If you look at my book, my book is deliberately made green, white, and blue. Yeah. So that's the color I use because it's my first one for my country flag. But the tennis association didn't even have tracksuit left because usually they have stock of pile of tracksuit. So we didn't have tracksuit. So what happened is our coach went to the Sierra Leone Red Cross. So the Red Cross, they had the red and white tracksuit. So yeah. that's what they gave to us, and then, wow. and then they took it and then they stencil it with Sierra Leone Tennis Association and then the green, white, and blue. But wow. we were the only, in fact, in history, we were the only Sierra Leone team ever to have ever wore a red and white tracksuit. Track <laughs> you waited, you
0: worked harder than anyone to get this <laughs> national tracksuit, and they give you one in their own you must know, the all wrong colors. Are you messing with what is happening here? <laughs> Uh, but
1: I, I couldn't care less what color it was. I would just wanted to be. And um, so it, it, it was good. And then I, I won my first match, 6 love 6 love. Wow. And then in the second round, I remember playing the, a boy who was, uh, he was top in Africa, top in the world ranking. Because in those days, we have a lot of good players. Like uh, we have players who were ranked top 50, top 100 in the ITF juniors. So the yeah. standard was really high. But for me... Winning my first match was something that's completely I was not expecting that, not even my coach, because I was just happy to be there to to experience it firsthand, what it felt like. And then the second match, I played against a guy called Tamba de Samasa from Mali. He was as tall and lanky as me at the biggest serve. And I got one of the biggest serves. So basically we just stand there just (laughs) bombshelling each other. (laughs) Serve after serve, right? Yeah, I lost 4-2, and two, but it was, um, it was a very good turning point. And then we end up going to Togo in Nigeria. But again, other, other very tragic thing happened while we were playing. Uh, what happened? Oh, <laughs> so we went to Togo. And then uh, while we were in Togo, one of the worst attacks happened in Freetown. So the rebels, they regrouped and came back. So um, that was just two weeks after we left. So they, they killed over 12,000 people in, um, in that week. Oh, no. So I didn't have a telephone to communicate with my family. And my coach was, you know, screaming all the time. And I remember I, was, I played against a kid called Umar Shitrit, And um, I actually have, I've just printed the, because somebody asked me, I've just printed from the ITF website, I've printed, you know, those calls, the dates and everything. So, Umar I was playing. I lost love and love. And the reason is, I mean, this has nothing to do with my ability to play tennis. Yeah. But also because I was looking at my coach because uh, every time I turned to him, he was in tears. He was listening. So, I knew something was wrong. So, my head completely like, I don't even want to play tennis here today. So, I knew. And then um, because the, the night before, the news wasn't good about Sierra Leone. So anyway, we finish in Togo and then we continue to Nigeria for the third leg. Yeah. So why is in Nigeria and then Sierra Leone has been turned into like uh, I mean the whole nation was completely turned upside down. Yeah. So anyway, um, once we finish in Nigeria, we couldn't go back to Sierra Leone and then we end up becoming refugee for three months in a few months in, in Ghana. So oh. <laughs> So um, I tell you, Rob. It's, this is why um, everybody around the world who have read my book and said definitely we just want to see the movie. This is this <laughs> is more than just a book. It, it has to be turned into, you know, a movie. So it's like one problem after another. So even the time I was, I felt like I've succeeded in what I have to do. Yeah. Then more and more difficult things are happening. And obviously, after some time, we managed to fly back to Guinea after some months in Ghana. And then um, uh, we got to Sierra Leone, me and my coach from Guinea. And then uh, we got a, a airlift by helicopter uh, from the airport, you know, to Freetown. And I remember my coach, because we were send this helicopter, and he said to the guys, if they can basically, normally they fly over the Atlantic Ocean into the beach, and then that's where they land, and then we go home. Yeah. so my coach said if they can just divert into the city for us and why is the flow of the city and you can see everything in fire all you can see in the city is your smoke oh. the building that i grew up looking at this all the government building were on fire and then um, i remember when i came down you you would drive for like 20 minutes you wouldn't see a single human being yeah and it was those i i never thought i would see my country like this and then when I went, I saw my mom and everybody, people have big heads, small body, bones. You can count everybody's ribs because it, it was really bad, Rob. I think that's when I decided enough is enough. I got to leave Sierra Leone mm-hmm. and um, I got to move somewhere else. Unfortunately, yeah, I did left, but it was even more painful after that. Oh, it got worse. <laughs> and, was, and, was, and was it again
0: tennis that enabled you to to leave Sierra
1: Leone? Uh, Yes, because um, uh, one of the Ghanaian coach, uh, uh, funny enough, his son only messaged me two days ago. And um, so this guy, he was the national coach for the Ghanaian junior team and also become the Davis Cup captain for Ghana. So Wise, we were playing one day, I think after I finished my second match, and he called me, Wise I was in Ghana, and he said to me, and he said, I've called you especially because I... I felt really sad for you guys that Sierra Leone has been so badly damaged. He said, I went to Frobe College, the University of Sierra Leone, when I was younger. And because Sierra Leone has the first university in West Africa, so that's where all the most educated people in West Africa used to go study to Sierra Leone. So we were pretty much known for education, and we have the highest IQ in the whole African continent. Sierra Leone has the highest IQ. So... He said, I don't know how a nation so great, so wealthy can go from that to where it is today. But if you want to ever come to Ghana to live, you can live with me and my family and I can help you with your tennis and your education. Wow. So he gave me his address and his phone number. So when I went to Sierra Leone and I look at the situation it was really tough. I, I asked for some help if I can get some money from some rich people. But and then I wanted between three and $500 to get a flight back to Ghana, yeah. which is 45-minute, one-hour flight. And I managed to only get $50, $55. Yeah. <laughs> so that couldn't take me anywhere. So and uh, a military commander uh, who was called Colonel George, he played tennis. He was a good player who plays for Nigeria, but he joined the army and he was a colonel in the army. So he gave me $100 and then he gave me a letter to take to somebody who runs a very small flight between Sierra Leone and Guinea and Liberia. uh, Not Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea and Gambia. So they actually gave me a lift from Freetown on the plane to Guinea. So they dropped me in Guinea and boy, oh boy, I have to travel by road from Guinea to Liberia and from Liberia to Ghana. But when I went to Guinea and asked the guys, I said, look, I'm going to Liberia. How much is the ticket? The guy looked at me and said, you're going where? I said, I'm going to Liberia. He said, no, you're not. I said, why? Because that time the war started in Liberia, you see? So from Liberia and then it came to Sierra Leone. It started in 1989, Liberia. So the Liberians and the Sierra Leone, we didn't get on very well at that time with each other. Yeah. But me being this young, 16, 17 years old, teenager who just, you know, when you're a teenager, you're thinking it's just not the same as when you grow older. Yeah. And then I decided, oh, forget it. I'm going, just give me the tickets. So a journey that was supposed to take me two days from Guinea to Ghana took me over two months. Oh. And and I end up being nearly killed because somebody said they were going to shoot me and shoot whoever is in the truck because I have to escape in the border to get to Liberia. I didn't have a visa. I run out of money on the way. I mean, I'm telling you the whole book, but I wow. tell you what, Wow, it, it was really crazy so by the time I get to Ghana I I, I mean I didn't give up I nearly lost my life but Oof. I did go to Ghana over two months later and um, so those experience and once I got to Ghana it was really good you know and then I trained and met my mentor yeah. and um, who a new guy who became my coach coach Noah he was in fact on the BBC when I won the BBC um, yeah. inspiration award so BBC surprised me by actually bringing him on and which like, how did you even manage to get hold of this guy? Because he's the most quiet person that I know. So anyway, so uh, it it was a lot of struggle, but the struggle, you know, comes and it brings
0: other things. And I think, um, you know, the struggle, I I can't wait to really get stuck into the book and read, you know, even more detail than you've so kindly gave us today. I mean, and, uh, you know, obviously, I'd encourage everyone to get a copy. I know it's on it's on Amazon. And if you look up Sam's website, we'll be sure to give you links and things like that. Um,
1: how, out of all this, Sam, how did you end up coming to the UK? Yeah, that's a good question. So, Wise I was in Ghana training, um, that was in the year 2000. And um, so, the under-14 tournament was on the ITF tournament in the same place where I have played my own tournament. Yeah. And the Gambian tennis president came with the team. Coincidentally, uh, he, the coach who was meant to come with them, he has gone for his... He has two jobs. He was a national coach, but He also worked as an accountant. Yeah. So his accounting firm has sent him somewhere to so another county for conference. So he wouldn't make it. So the tennis president decided, you know, he would take the place. So whilst we were there, these boys... The tennis president was uh, quite a bit old, so he spent a lot of time in the room and just leave these kids. And, and I said to them, where is your coach? And he said, oh, we don't have a coach. We have the president, but he is sleeping. So And then I go on court, I start hitting with them and helping them. So <laughs> they were so excited, and they went and told the tennis president, oh, this guy is so great, and he's a good player. We've just been hit. He's hit, and he teaches us what to do, and blah, blah, blah. So I spent the whole week with them. And then when he was uh, ready to go, he said, look, Sam, uh, what would it take for me to get you over to Gambia when you're not competing to help? Because the kids, they just never show up about you. Even (laughs) when I want to sleep, they go, Sam, 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 Sam. I go like, that's enough now, Sam. I'll talk to Sam myself. So anyway, so through this, and then um, so he invited me to come to Gambia. But another twist to the story is, I struggle more to get from Sierra Leone to Gambia than I did from Sierra Leone to Ghana. But I will let you read that. I would end up four weeks in prison as well. Oh. But anyway, let's don't even go there. <laughs> so, so, so I, I end up in the Gambia and then I met my um, my kid's mom. Mm. And uh, so when I met my kid's mom and then um, she came to, we met in the Gambia while I was there, and then uh, she come to the Gambia for so many times and it reached a point where she said to me, you know what? I'm sick and tired of coming with to you to Africa. I know you got your tennis, you travel, you love your Africa. But why can't you come to England and see where I live and see my own? So anyway, so she, she brought me over to Southport. Southport, where yeah. She uh, that was in 2004. Wow. And I remember I came in May and uh, she said this was the summer. I was so freezing cold I go like, <laughs> If this is your summer, I don't want to see what your cold weather looks like, because I've never been in ice cold places before in my entire life. And the other thing I didn't find interesting that in Africa everybody talked to each other. Hey Sam, how are you? But here in Southport, because Southport has a lot of wealthy people, yeah, and nobody could speak to me. Everybody was like to themselves, and I was so bored. And I go, so I remember asking um, my wife as go. I want to go back to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love uh, England, but I want to go back. If this is what life is like here, I want to go back and do my tennis in Africa. So anyway, I spent a few months here, and then I went to Africa, and then she said, well, you have to come back because, you know, I cannot be going back and forth to Africa, and it's tough. So I decided to make my mind up, and I came to England uh, in 2004, and I was, uh, you know, 22 and then uh, 2005, my kids were born here. I got twin daughters. Wow. So,
0: uh,
1: and then Wiser was, yeah, was actually my, one of my training partner was Ken Skowski. He plays for Great Britain. One of my favourite ever matches actually was
0: Derbyshire uh, against Lancashire down at Eastbourne in County Cup. And Ken and right. his, brother, Ken and his yeah. brother were playing a couple of our players and we actually had a match point Um and one of the Skupskis put down an ace, I think, on our match point. But for
1: our <laughs> lads to pushing that close
0: was an amazing thing. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ken and uh, Ken and Neil, uh, yes, they're they're good. Uh, Neil is actually he's doing well. He's uh, he's a love lovely guy. I mean, Ken, they're both lovely. I grew up with Ken here, and uh, in fact, he was when I came back because in Southport at that time. Um, I said to my wife, you know, I I need to get a. If there's no tennis players here, there's no way I'm going to live here because I have to train and I need people who can hit. And you know, me coming from Africa, my energy, I could spend eight hours on courts. And I remember Ken used to say to me, Sam, how come you just never get tired? Because I used to travel to the Liverpool Tennis Centre. We would train for two hours in the morning and then I would go to the gym and train for another hour and a half and yeah. come straight to the tennis court and do another two hours. I did this every day on yeah. that Sunday. And, and these guys used to say, it looks like he's, you know, I don't know, is he on drugs? What, what's wrong with him? tennis. You know. Because I, I, for me, tennis, it was my, 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 te- me being on the tennis court, it's a different yeah. thing to other people. Yeah. So I train a lot with Ken and then I go back and forth to Africa to play for Sierra Leone. And then in 2007, I was 25 and I was struggling, you know, with sponsorship and all this kind of stuff. So, I decided um, I'm going to stop playing international tournaments and maybe focus on becoming a coach. So, and then I have a call from the tennis association. My The vice tennis president called me and said, Sam, look, the All-African game is on. I know you tell me you don't want to play tennis anymore for Sierra Leone because we're supposed to be playing Davis Cup and other things, but we don't have the money. You know, it's frustration after frustration. So, um, but the All-African game is coming up and I... You are my first pick. I want you to play for this country, and I want you to do your best. And that should be your last tournament, at least to say goodbye to Sierra Leone tennis. Wow. So this vice president, I was really shocked. And I remember sitting down with my wife, and we spoke about it. So, um, yeah, so I actually went to Sierra Leone, traveled there, and trained with the team. And then came back to England uh, two weeks before the Games. And I trained with uh, a lot of people here. And a boy who used to be the British number one junior. He grew up with Andy Murray, Chris Pack, who is a for me the most talented tennis player I've ever seen in England. Yeah. And so he lived in Southport here, become my like my brother. So and um, yeah, I went to the All African game, paid my own money. My country still never paid me yet. I keep that secret. And um, it cost me over three, four thousand pounds, five thousand pounds because flight ticket. This and my country still somebody has never refunded the money, so we went and um, I played the, the all African game and I was the the flag bearer for my country, so that, that was a good thing. The stadium, I think they have over 50,000 people in the stadium, and it was unbelievable, you know. And um, I didn't get the results I wanted, but I was very happy to for the sake of my sister, one of my two of my sisters were killed as well in Sierra Leone, who I dedicated my book to. And so, so many, so many things happened and that was my last international tournament. And the other person who was impacting that tournament, you know, uh, uh, Malik uh, Jaziri. Yeah. he yeah, was, exactly. was, yeah, we all played in that tournament together and he ended up becoming top 100 player. Yes. And, um, but he did even, I think he lost in the semis to a guy called Lamin Wahab who, beat Rafa in 2001 in Wimbledon semi-final juniors. Wow. So there was a lot of good players, you know, but the, another reason why you don't see African players is associations are killing the people in Africa. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Sam, and um, but you, I guess what a fitting
0: finale to what was your Sierra Leone tennis career in terms of carrying that flag with all those people there, because
1: boy, oh boy, did you deserve to do that, eh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. It, it, it was a good feeling to see. And, and I remember after the open ceremony, which was like the Olympic, basically, the fireworks and everything. I remember going back my, ten- my vice tennis president looked at me and said, uh, I remember he said, if there was one person, I want to see the smile I saw on your face, it will be you. I don't know if I've sent you the photo. I'll send you the photo of me and my vice president when I hold the flag. We were under the tunnel coming yeah. to the stadium. Yeah, and 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 he looked at me and said, "Boy, uh, I know people are stubborn, but you have an energy and endurance that will be very good for the children. This is why I formed my foundation to go back and help children. Yeah. And we've done so in South Sudan. We've done a lot of time in Ghana, in Gambia, and a lot in Sierra Leone. We run tournaments and things because I, I don't want to see kids suffering like I did. You know, in my childhood, we suffered. So we got a lot of help here in England, and recently Wilson sent me a whole bundle of stuff to take to Africa and stuff like that. But it it, it worked all the thing, and then of course I end up playing in the futures. I play a lot of futures in Africa. I played in the ITF Junior, I played in the All African game. Me and my cousin were some two of the best doubles player, and um, I end up playing a lot of doubles because of my seven volley. And yeah, so and in fact Ken was my doubles practicing partner when when before he went to America on uni. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he used to say to me, Sam, you just need to chill out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I, when I go on tennis court, I never know how to chill out. Now I do because I'm older now. <laughs> and that, I mean, just such an
0: incredible journey and, you know, full journeys in the book. But I think one of the things I'd love to talk to you about is, is your approach to life. I know you do a lot of speaking now at events and, um, and and almost through your experiences, just the qualities that people need to get along in life, to make things happen in life, and you've got that. You've got that. Just just tell us a bit about how you know how you advise people following on from
1: these at times horrific experiences. Yeah, my my the first thing I would say to people is first thing is appreciation. One of the things that we take for granted is. Uh, it's the greatest gift that we have as human beings. Some people, when you ask them, they say, oh, I got a house, I got this. That doesn't mean anything. If you want to know that material and money doesn't mean so much, go to the hospice and see. And ask those people what do they want. They will tell you, I just want to have my life back. So life is the greatest gift. So if you are healthy, you're well, even in this lockdown, I said to people, oh, this is not lockdown because you're still allowed to go out. In Sierra we were locked down with bullets and bombs. Yeah. And things like this. So my fair advice is appreciate life. Appreciate whatever you have uh, uh, in your meal. Appreciate that you got food. You live in a county called England, where if you are struggling here, somebody can help you. The government can help you. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, find something that inspired you. Like I was inspired by my mom and my friend who I lost tragically. Something that make you wanna wake up two o'clock in the morning and just go run. Something that if you have to lose weight, maybe you see a boy or a boyfriend or somebody, or, or a guy or a lady that you want to impress. You know, if that inspired you, think about it and say, okay, I love Linda over there. I wanna impress Linda. But I wanna lose some weight. Let Linda be your inspiration. to do 10 mile run in a day to go do this and do it to the point where you notice, know you know, there's 8 billion people around the planet and whatever you're doing, there's at least twenty hundred million people doing it. Do it so much that you think to your head that I am doing it better than anyone else. Because trust me, if you think you're training 10 hours a day, there's somebody in China doing 12 hours. There's somebody in Sierra Leone. So give it everything that you have. You know, Get something that inspired you. And another thing is, our advice is don't try to be stressed about things that you can't control in life. You know, when my friend passed away, I realized that I am not in control of how I die or whatever, but what I'm in control of is how I play tennis, is how I train and how I get better. Even though the opportunity was only 1%, but I took that 1% opportunity and make it to 100%. So I make sure I train, never give up attitude, determination and work as hard as possible. Now, my last advice I always give to people the whole world is going through so many things. We got coronavirus, we got Black Lives Matter, we got uh, Muslim hating Christian, Christian hating Muslim, you know, white people fighting black people, black people fight, you know, all these kind of negative things around us. So, what I advise people is, you know, when I support Liverpool, we wear red, as we know. I love red. Sometimes we wear yellow, sometimes we wear black. Doesn't matter what color. I love my team. So, take it that you love human beings. It doesn't matter if they're red, if they're blue, if they're green, if they're whatever color people. It doesn't matter people, gender. At the end of the day, we're all strangers on this planet. Let's love each other. Let's care about each other and not just you because if we would have had that in Sierra Leone, 120,000 people would have never lost their life. The Second World War would have never happened. First World War would have never happened. Africa would be a peaceful place and the whole world. So for me, my greatest lesson is appreciation, thankful, happy, love people, respect people. Play tennis,
0: not war. Choose love, not war. Hey. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, lovely words. And and how about over here with with the children? I mean, I, I was really interested. Your dad said in uh, tennis in Sierra Leone was for for white and wealthy. And um, you know, what was your impression of of tennis in the UK when you came over? Was it uh, you know? white and wealthy
1: and um, how, how do we change that in the game it, it is changing how do we change it more it's uh it's a yes and no because everybody can play tennis it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are but realistically if you want to compete you need to have the finance that's no doubt that. so that's what make it become like a rich man's sport you yeah. know if you want to go to certain club uh, you know membership can be higher you know for some people so, again, uh, like I said, it's a yes and no question. You can play tennis at certain level, but if you want to go compete, for example, where I last uh, 2019, the rest of 2019, from January to December, I did uh, 90,000 miles of travel. Wow. You know, I was all over Europe, Eastern Europe, America, South America, Middle East, you name it. I was all over the place with this player. And imagine the flights cost, hotels. Mm-hmm. My salary, strings, shoes, you yeah, name yeah. it. Just, just, that was, you were, what, a, a hitting partner? A, no, a, I was the coach. You, I was a coach. I was the coach player. Yeah, I've, I've been a hitting partner for a lot of players. But this one, I was traveling with an American player who is, is ranking his top 200 now in the junior, or very potentially, definitely has what it takes, this kid. Yes. Because I choose who I travel with very carefully. I like people who, who really they choose to play tennis and they choose to go to hell to make sure that they play tennis. If you're a Barbie doll, if you're a you know, spoiled, rich kid, I don't care how much money you have, I won't be traveling with you, that's for sure. But I will I- encourage everybody, it doesn't matter how rich or poor, I always go to travel with you, you need to have a meaning behind your travel. Yes. So so I think the way to change is because I'm sure our healthy, which I'm a big fan of the healthy, even though, you know, people say the LTA have their own problem. Of course they do. Husband and wife have problem. Kids, brothers and brothers have problem. So everywhere there is a problem, but I still support the LTA because that's our local association. But okay. I would like to see how they take some of the fundings and help poorer areas. Yes. You know, because I, I will give you an incident. I used to train a boy who come from a very poor, I mean, when I say poor, for England standard, that was poor and um, this black kid and i used to teach him free because nobody else would do it and he was talented yeah but you know he broke his hand and came back and he lost all his uh sponsorship but they were giving all the kids sponsorship who uh, they don't need it because their parents got the money you know so so in this kind of thing those little things i think need to be changed and few years back i was at the. Thing, you know that's a really interesting point sam isn't it because you know, when we see
0: juniors come through and we want, you know, I, I want people to play our game. I don't want it yeah. to be about the money that they've got. I want it, you know, if they've got the passion for it, if they've got the yeah. drive, if they've got that attitude that you've talked about, I want them to play our game. Yet, yeah. yet you know, yeah. to get to a certain level of having individual coaching for your technique, for your your tactics, for your mentality, everything, it, it's going to cost us some of money. Now, yeah this is what we need if we're going to have that talented child who is not from a UK wealthy background, cannot afford those individuals. We've got to try and find a way for yeah. them to reach there to be as good as they can. And if that is by, you know, is it that we need to drive more sponsorship? Do we need more, a bit of money coming in from the association or the county association or or whatever? Or do you give up your time for that child? Like It sounds like you very
1: kindly did. People think if you live in the UK, there is no poverty. Of course, there is poverty. There is kids yeah. who struggle because I deal with a lot of kids. You know, I can tell you, Rob, I'm not trying because I don't I don't talk about what I do. But uh, just to give people a clue, there are so many kids that I do tennis for that couldn't afford it. And I will give you two <clears throat> stories here. Yeah. A few years ago, I was at the Bolton Arena. They had the World Junior Championship. And uh, I noticed the French team, out of 12 players... Nine of them were black. So I got very, you know, interested in this. And I said, I asked the coach, I said, wow, it's nice to see a lot of our black kids, uh, you know, into tennis. Say, how have you managed this? Because I'm looking at the attitude of the kids, the competitiveness, the discipline. And he said, what we've managed to do in France is we've gone to the suburb area. Now, the suburb, like the ghettos or, you know, this rough area where kids, you know, today we have knife crime, gun crime, whatever crime. Kids go to this thing because there is nothing for them to do or somebody is not there to lead them. So anyway, he said, we've gone to the poorer kids because let's be honest, the way I train to play tennis is very difficult to find kids in this Western world who have that same motivation and push and drive. I'm not saying they're not there. I don't yeah. want somebody to say, I'm not saying kids are lazy. I'm just saying sometimes if you go down, the way the poor kids want to fight is not the same way with kids who are born with so much silver spoon or what golden spoon. They yeah. want to train. So if you have that balance, you will be able to help those kids and you might create some champion, but also you, even if you don't create champion, you're helping somebody's life coming from the slum or the gutter or from struggle to be a better person who can go on to be a good coach for the LTA and for the community and for the society. Now, the second point I want to make such a good point by the way Sam such a good point and I find it
0: very inspiring for for me to get out you know to get out and find the players and find a way man find a way of getting some some funding from somewhere you know and and it may be that it's from county associations from the association it may be that it's from A corporate who realizes
1: what good you can do, but such a good point. Such a good point. Sorry, Sam, your second one. No, no, no. It's good because you know England is a wealthy country. We cannot deny that. We've got people with vast worlds of money. Get your scouts, get people out there and put the program. Let somebody say, okay, we got this LTA program. We have this scheme where we want to get as many kids involved in the sport. You know, I remember here in Liverpool, before the Liverpool International, I do a voluntary work where I'm involved with the Liverpool International where you... you yes. Did mention, I uh, was it, you, you said, um, okay, anyway. So, but anyway, I'm just saying at the Liverpool, what we do is we put mini tennis and then we go out. And do you know how many people and kids we talk to all the time who took up tennis? They come for the day. Here I am, uh, me being like a full, big guy, there high-fiving the kids, come on, you play. over we'll playing uh, sponge tennis. And if you win a point, I'll do 100 push-ups. By the time you know it, we will. I will send you a video of me and the city of Liverpool just messing around with kids. So get people who can do this. I don't mind if the LTA asks me to give three, four hours a week just doing this, just inspiring people. I don't mind doing it. but find so those people. Stuff, This is amazing. And I love this idea. Take the tennis net,
0: set it up, get people yeah. playing our wonderful yeah. sport and trying in some way to get them. And I don't care if it's my program. I don't care if it's going into another club's program because I want those children playing tennis. Just, just to check though, if I lose a point, am I okay doing
1: five, ten press ups rather than hundred? Oh yes, you you can, you, yeah, you, you can do a you can five, ten. Doing push up for me is uh, yeah, that's part of my that's part of my thing. But the, my second point there was I used to train a player who went on to play at the Liverpool International and played against Kokov and the way, played against. Uh, um, uh, Berlin the Benchage because I know Berlin the Benchage very well and uh, gone to play Contovit uh, uh, who is now top 15 in the WTA Yeah, yeah. and so I remember when I met her the dad uh, I met her when she was 12 and then when I finished competing she was 14 the dad came to me and said look all the coaches have ignored my daughter because we don't have the money but yeah. I want you to help my daughter what would you do I said, she needs to train 12 hours a week if she wants to be. And he go, ooh, I don't have that kind of money. And so I said to him, okay, you don't have that kind of money. So let's talk, what do you have? So, and then let me talk to the girl and see what she has. And she has uh, the passion, does she have the attitude? I mean, it took me a year to clean up her attitude and put it, she went from being not even ever talked about in the county to being the number one Lancashire female player, played for the county. And then played in the Liverpool International, played in Futures and ITF and whatever, and went to America and played for um, uh, North or South Carolina University, become one of the best players in the university. And now uh, she's finished university. She graduated last year with a degree in psychology and sport and all this. But my point here is, if I would have said that it's only about the money, that's one player talent gone waste. Yes. So yeah. what I did there was sacrifice four years of my time. I mean, they were paying me. I mean, probably they were paying me 30% of what out of 100% payment. But yeah. it didn't bother me because yeah. I got other people who can pay me. The few that can't, I don't let them go. Yeah. Whatever they can afford, if they can afford it. Because when I was in Sierra Leone, that's how I play tennis. You know, people just helped me from nowhere. People just helped me and helped me. So why not do the same? I'm still, at the end of the day, not losing. I may lose finance, but I'm gaining experience and I'm gaining joy in seeing that these children didn't end up going pregnant, going off the rail, taking drugs, going up, And they're playing a sport that I think God shoots an injection in me called tennis, which, you know, I just hear the word tennis and it just gets me going. Uh, so I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much, and I, it's really inspiring
0: because it—it's what life should be about, and it's not about those material things, is it? It's um, yeah. But the fact you've been through—you know—your story is incredible, but so your attitude and your outlooks just incredible. It's inspiring, um, yeah. my friend. I know you've given me so much of your time, and I thank you so much. A, a couple, yeah. a couple to finish on. Um, if you were put in charge of world tennis for a day.
1: What one new amazing initiative would you introduce? Very simple. Just uh, introduce that every poor child will be able to access tennis once or twice a week. Every poor areas. All the poor areas. Just go there, put the mini-net, put this, get them kids to play tennis. And just get as many poor children because, you know, like I said, play tennis, not war. If I had power in Sierra Leone at that time, I said... um, I would have given every soldier a tennis racket and the ball <laughs> so, yeah. just to yeah. play. Put your gun down. Let's go do some tennis. Forget it. And that's how I was saved. By the way, when my friends who went to, they spent 21 days in a military prison on the starvation, hunger, and beating as well. So uh, tennis, you know, gave me that opportunity to get out of that. Today, I'm able to travel to over 90 countries around the world. So, as I send you those photos of with so many greatest people who yeah. I need to read about so you know so yeah I'll make sure tennis go to the poorer area and get more poor kids or less fortunate kids to be involved in it make it access to those uh community and that is uh,
0: just a fantastic answer <laughs> just yeah. it is, and a yeah. final one and I I ask this to everyone um who who I interview Sam um if you could go for a drink with anybody anybody alive or if they're dead, who would it be and,
1: and why would you go for a drink? It would be Ali Mami. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. If I can uh, even swim from here to Sierra Leone and back, just to spend a minute with him, I would. Yeah. You know. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a very
0: understandable answer. It's one I thought you might have. It's uh, it's yeah. a really moving one, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Much. I'm sure you know if he's looking down at, he's incredibly proud of what you've achieved, um, and it's inspirational, Sam. It's inspirational. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't tell uh, you know anyone who's out there, you know, if you if you've listened and to this interview or to the, I'll probably cut it into a couple of parts, to the a couple of these interviews. Um, please do uh, check out Sam's book, "How Tennis Saved My Life" and, and "Play Tennis, Not War." It's on the Amazon website search for Sam Giallo uh, and find the website there because the story is incredible but what's come out the other end of it is something that's incredibly
1: inspirational so yeah. Sam I, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, don't worry Rob uh, thank you so much I'm more even grateful to, to speak and talk about this and also just to tell people that um, if the COVID for those of you guys who are struggling with the COVID at home remember stay calm stay positive uh, read you know, spend time with your family, think about yourself and the world and be happy because we all get through this together.